Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. We are thrilled to have our, as our guest today, Jennifer Sisnick Ellers. As our special guest, she is a longtime friend of Mark and Debbie Laser and Faithful and True. And uh, we are here with Debbie and with, of course, our host, Dr. Mark, <laughs> Dr. Mark, Dr. Greg Miller. Uh, Debbie, I'll let you start uh, by introducing Jennifer. Yes, Jennifer Sisney Ellers has been a longtime friend of ours, as you mentioned, and she is an amazing woman. And actually, I met her years and years ago, and we were in the opposite roles when we did that. She was trying to convince me to be interviewed for some of the DVDs in the AACC, or American Christian Association. Um, uh, so we were laughing the other day when I was talking to her about being on our program that this, this is a real switch. <laughs> but Jennifer is uh, also a professional counselor herself and a life coach. She's a crisis response trainer and author and trainer. She's um, currently serving as the Director of Advancement for the International for Good News Jail and Prison Ministry. And she served, also serves as the director of the Grief, Crisis, and Disaster Network of the American Association of Christian Counselors. Um, Jennifer has done years and years of training in, um, about crisis and grief and first responders, and we thought it would be wonderful to have you on, on our podcast, Jennifer, to speak to some of the issues that are specific to what we do here. Yeah, and Jennifer, well, thank, thanks for being with us. It is my pleasure to join both of you. Uh, you know, I have the greatest respect for all that you do at Faithful and True and just love you guys. So it's an honor to be able to be with you. Well, thank you. And as you know, um, we work specifically um, with uh, men and women who are going through the chaos and the crisis that is created through sexual betrayal. And one of the questions that we get um, has to do with how do we include our children, or even should we include our children? And we know that a lot of your focus has been on helping people navigate significant trauma. And so we would love yeah. just to hear a little bit about what you know, what you're discovering, what you're learning about helping children when there has been some trauma and chaos in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And Greg, a lot of what I speak on with regard to children uh, what to tell children, how to talk to children, is about situations of grief and terrible trauma mm -hmm. or major loss. And so when really bad things happen, uh, parents and or other adults in their lives often go, oh, no, what do we say to, or uh, how do we interact with kids mm -hmm. about this? And because they don't know what to do, they do probably what is the worst. Uh, thing that I usually say is they don't say or do anything. Mm -hmm. They just pretend the kids aren't even there in right. a way. Um, I have a colleague who says when it comes to crisis and disaster situations, don't forget to look down at the little ones. Mm -hmm. Don't forget that they're there because they are like little sponges. They're picking up and absorbing things. And if you're not intentional about how you address it with them, uh, then they're just left to interpret it with a frontal lobe that doesn't really know how to do that, right. and it may be something that's really toxic right. that they are thinking. Well, and yeah. I think it's our nature as parents to believe our first response is to protect them. And so we can get distorted about what protection is, and sometimes protection becomes about um, hiding or not being fully truthful, or like you're saying, not even including them and acknowledging them in whatever crisis is occurring. 
You're exactly right, Greg. And I think the errors that people make, whether it's with uh, grief or trauma issues or issues of what's going on in the marriage or uh, sexual infidelity, the mistake that they make is not out of malice or not even out of not caring or not thinking about the kids. Mm -hmm. It is because um, they sort of falsely believe that uh, the best way to protect and keep kids safe is for them not to know anything about right. them, right? Let's just shield them. And uh, that generalizes to a bigger principle that I teach with regard to grief um, and crisis, which is, I think, the idea that we want to shield our kids from any bad feeling, uh, bad experience, sadness, loss, or pain is, while it's a noble thought, Number one, it's impossible. Mm-hmm, right. Life is full of sadness, challenges, and disappointments. And if you're shielding your kids from that, you're also depriving them of the ability to learn really important and valuable skills about how we manage difficult situations, how we deal with our emotions about that, how we interact with others. And if you really think about it, every bad thing that happens, in our family, our lives, is a teaching opportunity to both model something for kids as well as to interact with them to teach them coping skills and certain values. Mm -hmm. They're going to learn something from this. So are you going to be intentional about what they learn, or are you just going to leave that to chance? Mm -hmm. I think one of the things we talk about here, Jennifer, is if we can model to our children that we go through some difficult things and we can talk about those that perhaps when they have difficult things, they'll feel more comfortable coming to us to talk about things as well. That is so true, Deb. And I've even seen some research that indicates in terms of the parent-child relationship through the years, the strongest relationships are um, when parents have made mistakes or messed up and then acknowledged that and dialogued with uh, their kids about it. It builds um, safety, and you're modeling something that then when your young person, when your child, uh, or even when they become an adult, if they make a mistake and mess up, they will be more likely to come to you with honesty about mm-hmm. that than if we're modeling, uh, we don't talk about bad stuff, then that's what they're interpreting. We, we don't talk about bad stuff, and they're not likely to come to you when they are struggling or hurting or having problems. Well, I think somehow we got this message that as good parents, the goal is for our children to have a happy childhood. And the problem with that is happiness is one of the things that we experience, but it's not the exclusive thing that we experience. So in some way, if we can change the frame of reference to say the goal is for our children to have an authentic childhood where they are not alone, that they can be present with themselves and others, whatever it is that they are experiencing. You're so right, um, Greg, and I think it's how do we define happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, happiness really is not something that has to be tied to um, everything always being perfect and mm-hmm. okay in the way we want it, um, especially if we think about really the description of us as believers. When we think about that, we're going to go through difficult things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all are. But happiness is more at the level of a peace and contentment, even in the midst of that, being able to have that. 
And so, and I think what you're describing too is giving kids safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, that authentic experience is really making them feel safe with no matter what happens. Right. And that does require, you know, that authenticity. Um, we, we have a, co- a colleague who has written a book that I give a lot of parents. Uh, Josh Straub wrote a book called Safe House, and it's about how do you make that safe, that family, a place of safety for, mm-hmm. for kids. And I think that's so important. Well, and the, the big piece is, and you're not alone. So what, yeah. whatever yeah. our family is doing, our family can move through hard things and you are not alone. Absolutely. Yeah. I know in our field, um, I hear fairly regularly from the wives who have been betrayed that one of their concerns about children knowing any information is that they feel like it would ruin their their thoughts about who their dad is and, you know, um, disrespect him. And so they get reluctant about information because they're kind of protecting the character and reputation of the father. I was wondering what you would say to about that. Yeah, and I think that is also an issue of always balancing what um, – kids view is and we don't want to ever give information that is not age appropriate mm-hmm. so in terms of detail so let me just say that up front whether it is about grief and loss circumstances or trauma uh, or sexual circumstances there are things that are just not age appropriate depending on the age of the, of the children so sometimes there are situations across the board where you might want to consult with uh, you know a mental health professional who knows, understands child development and stages, and that's where Faithful and True can certainly help parents going, okay, let's talk about the age of your kids and what is appropriate at that age to to talk about. But in terms of general, what you're talking about, Deb, is um, do we want to preserve the illusion that our parents are perfect Mm -hmm. human beings Mm -hmm. that kids look up to, right? Yes. Um, And you know what? That there is a piece of that that is a natural process for that to change. If anybody has teenagers or older, you know that that changes. Right. <laughs> no matter what you've done or not done, your kids will go from thinking you are the greatest humans on the face of the planet and endowing you with almost supernatural qualities when they're little children to, by the time they're teenagers, total disregard sometimes for you as people. Right. And um, that, that is eventually evens back out. But so there's a natural part of that that is just um, a part of the developmental process. Well, that, yeah, you're going you're gonna to fall off that pedestal, whether it's a hard <laughs> fall with some information or yes. a, a soft fall. Right. But the, the truth is, I believe that as they go through those developmental stages, they will have a greater respect for a parent that is authentic about um, their journey and their struggles that doesn't say, I am perfect. I think the biggest level of dissonance that creates a barrier to a good relationship and creates harm for our kids is the hypocrisy of let me pretend that I'm perfect when they know and they will find out that right. we're not. I mean, that's one of the hardest things that I that, that we struggle with in, in sort of all of Christianity is: do we be authentic about when we're uh, when we failed in any any way? And I think there's got to be some of that um, for that authenticity. Like I said, w- within 
uh, reason in terms of what you share and when. Well, and, and I want to go back to something you said earlier about the idea of children being sponges. They they yeah. are observant. They are aware. They they can read the room. And we, we often talk about, you know, one of the best gifts we can give someone is the truth. And this is also a reality for our children. And I, I kind of use the image. It's like the Greek and the Romans where if there was something in life that they didn't understand or didn't make sense... They created a story to explain it, and that's how we got the myths. Well, I think children do the same thing. If there's something in their life that doesn't make sense, they come up with a story that explains it, and that story many times is a distortion of the truth, and at the end of it, the child begins to believe they are responsible for something that really they have no responsibility for. Oh, you're exactly right, Greg. That's And that's developmental. That's a part of a certain stage in a child's life. They're very egocentric when mm-hmm. they're younger, meaning the world sort of revolves around them. So if something bad happens in the world, it's my fault. And mm-hmm. I, I can give you one example. I, I deal a lot with um, issues when uh, parents die. And one of the particularly difficult issues that I talk about all the time is the issue of suicide. Mm-hmm. Do, do we tell kids? And First inclination a lot of parents have is to tell an untruth, which is uh, daddy died of a heart attack, not that he took his own life, because that's a hard conversation mm-hmm. to have. But, um, you know, we, we have one little boy that um, he, he heard, I mean, he overheard that daddy had taken his own life, even though he wasn't told that. And, and it was many months uh, before finally uh, the family addressed with him, um, he had said something, and they realized he knew the truth. And he said, no, I, I know that Daddy killed himself, and I know why. It was because I got bad grades on my report card. Mm. And in his little mind, right. he had gotten his last report card was not great. And it, a few weeks later, his dad took his own life. So in his mind, he had interpreted that it was his fault, and he was to blame. And you're right, it's just that they begin to internalize that it was something about me. Right. And uh, we know that with divorce, if parents split up, a lot of times uh, the first thing we tell them to tell their children is, this has nothing to do with you. It's not about you. It's not your fault. Because blaming themselves is, is one of the things that kids do when bad things happen. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm also aware of is that I, I often hear from wives I'm working with that children are too small, and that's why we haven't shared information with them. Um, I know my personal experience when our kids were 10, 7, and 4 when our life um, crashed and burned is that um, I was thinking, too, probably some of that in terms of our 4-year-old being the least one to worry about. And what I know today as my children are now adults is that I really think he was affected the most by what was going on. Even though we had chosen to talk with them, I guess that's proof, too, that you can still try to do the right thing and and educate them, and that doesn't mean that they won't struggle with what's happened. Um, but what what right. is your, your sense or experience with little ones? Well, and, and that is where developmentally there are some age differences. And let me say that even, uh, you're right, if the desire is to keep them preserved from any effects, I will tell you this, uh, babies in the womb, mm-hmm. uh, they don't have any understanding. They didn't perceive even specific things, but they're impacted by the stress levels of their mom. And so even things that happened while before they were born, 
uh, if you go back and really look at it, had some impact. Of course, some of that is about then the state, emotional state that mom or dad were in when they were born or when they were little. But um, kids are going to be impacted, whether they understand it fully or not, because they pick up on the emotional state of the system that they're in and the individuals in that system. But um, and I'm not saying you have to sit down and talk to an infant or a toddler who has no language. Um, but I, I think once they get to the place where they hear and understand language, and the one caveat I tell all parents is they probably know more than mm-hmm. you think earlier than you think. Um, and hear, they hear everything. They, they really do pick up on things. And even if they don't understand it fully, uh, they may absorb some of it at an emotional level, even if they don't have a conscious awareness of it. But um, looking at what do I share with kids at what age, and there are some developmental um, stages, but sometimes there's a, the earlier stages means that something happened to upset their sense of safety and balance in their family at a very pivotal time before their um, sense of safety and separation and individuation was um, established. And so it may just be that there are certain ages where kids are more vulnerable to any disruption Mm -hmm. in the family. So you're right. Like you said, Deb, sometimes it's just unfortunate that something happen to the family in that period of time. Now, I don't want that to sound catastrophic. Um, If you do everything you can and get help and support for your kids, they'll still be okay. Mm -hmm. They they will be okay. But um, if if you're going to, don't tear yourself apart going, I've just got to make sure this doesn't impact them at all. Of course it will. Of course it will. Mm -hmm. But you can minimize the damage um, and maximize the strengths of your ongoing relationship with that child through some intentional efforts at dialogue and honesty and engaging with them in an authentic way. Um, Jennifer, we we know of situations where it is actually a child or a teenager that discovers the husband's acting out. They find something on the computer or they see something on a cell phone. And so then they are given this information that obviously creates chaos for them. Um, how, how do you help and support a family where actually the child was the first to discover something and then in time or at some point they brought it to the family or acknowledged it to the mom or however that unfolded for them? Well, and I, I think there are a couple of issues there. One is in this specific case, looking at the situation. Um, did the child perceive that as a very stressful thing? Probably mm-hmm. they did. Mm-hmm. Was what they were exposed to inappropriate for their age? Mm-hmm. Because um, I, I want to mention that that can be uh, a very mild form, but still it can be sexual trauma mm-hmm. if what they're exposed to is either uh, pictures, content, um, language that is not anywhere age appropriate for them. Um, they might need some some counseling. They might need some help because that is uh, it can be sexual violence. It can be sexual trauma if they're exposed to that. Um, but then there's the dilemma of making sure they don't feel responsible mm-hmm. for anything that happens. That they don't feel like oh if I hadn't told or if I hadn't done this. Make sure that they are always validated. Right. That and and that there's a way of saying you what you did was the right thing by telling and 
you actually helped us mm-hmm. as a family and making sure that they feel validated in that, hopefully by everybody involved, should separately um, affirm the child. So right. even if they have, for example, uh, outed a parent, that that parent, it's even more important that that parent comes to the child to say, what you did was brave, mm-hmm. and I'm not mad at you for that. You yeah. did the right thing. That may be hard, and it may not be able to happen right at that moment, but as soon as it possibly can, uh, you know, steering that parent to, uh, you know, openly uh, validating the the child for what they did, for mm-hmm. the choice they made, if they made the choice to be honest, I think that's important. I, well, and imagine what the, the gift it would be if let's say that the dad was the one that he was was exposed was able to come back and be grateful for yeah. the child's courage in being able to speak that out loud and this thing that was secretive was brought to the light because of the child's courage and that would be incredibly it would be a great modeling of ultimately what we desire for our families is to be living in openness and authenticity not in secrecy Absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, hopefully, obviously, this is going to be a big healing process that may have to take place from the initial exposure mm-hmm. until that is able to happen in a, um, a significant way. But if the family is able to come full circle and that the child sees that there has been uh, some, some healing and redemption and, and it can be validated, that ultimately the, the good thing that's happening, it's a good thing that's happening to help us get healthier and stronger as a family because of your choice to be honest. Yeah, that would be great. Jennifer, what what do you see as um, maybe a lack of things that happen for children when they aren't involved in the truth in their family? I mean, do you, you see them struggling in some ways then as an adult? Absolutely. And it's on a continuum. Um, and first of all, there's, there's, there are different personalities, um, Deb and Greg, I want you to know that um, each child is going to have a, a little bit of a different reaction. Mm-hmm. Some are much more resilient with regard to things like that, and you'll maybe see one child who went through something similar and gets to adulthood and says, um, it, it, you know, I don't have any significant problems. There are others that are going to have significant breaches and barriers. So it's not just age. It can right. also just be that child's disposition, their heart, their personality, their sensitivity to things like truth. Um, I'll just give you a funny example that maybe a lot every parent out there listening could, could identify with, and it, it is from my own childhood. There wasn't anything like a sexual addiction in, in my family, but just the issue of the Santa Claus mm. story <laughs> with me. And I was one of those kids who... Um, I questioned everything I needed to know information from my parents, and it was a big issue of trust for me um, if I was if they were honest with me about things. And I had several um, issues uh, that that we, it took us a few years to talk through with my parents when I found out that they had lied to me, perpetuated <laughs> this lie about Santa Claus for a while. Because um, then I, I was like, how do I trust anything that you tell me? <laughs> uh, so I was a precocious kid, and, and you can laugh about that. And I'm not thinking that most kids had that kind of trauma over the Santa Claus lie. But, um, but for me, that was really hard. And I think it gets at a similar thing, which is um, 
trying to uh, the, the trust level with both authority in general, a, a trust level of authority figures, and then a trust with your your family, mm-hmm. because trust is the foundation for a healthy family system, right? Right. And if we're going to ask that our kids trust us with the hard things that they go through, and then we have to, to, to model that. And I think the biggest fractures I've seen in the parent-child relationship, whether it's as children or adults, is at some point the message is we don't tell the truth right. to each other. And so what I often say to families is the one caveat that I can give you that's universal across all of the circumstances is do not lie to your kids. Right. Now, there's, there's a, a, always a question about what to say and when, how much information to give, but please do not tell an untruth. Do not look your child, no matter what age, in the face and tell them a lie because there's just a piece of that that's going to damage the trust relationship as well as model something for them that I think you you don't want. So that was one of those rules. And I've seen kids that then come back and and we will start tracing back uh, a wound and and a lot of times it will hit at an untruth. Well, and it's that that was told. It's that idea that there's a difference between discretion and deception and sometimes as as parents we need to be discreet but that's different than being deceptive well jennifer it has been great having you with us and um thanks for just this encouragement and even this message of hope for families in a very difficult and painful experience I would agree. You're just uh, um, so full of wisdom about all of this, Jennifer. And one of the things I wanted to mention is um, a book that both you and your husband, Dr. Kevin Ellers, wrote together called The First 48 Hours, Spiritual Caregivers as First Responders. I know in our culture today with so many crises going on, you guys have been incredible speakers and trainers all across America to help people deal with the many crises that are happening. So... Thanks again for taking your time. I know you're a very busy person. Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. Yes. I appreciate it. Anytime, I, I love to help. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, Jennifer. We appreciate you greatly. And we'd like to uh, thank our listeners and our watchers. Now that we are on uh, the Faithful and True YouTube channel, we appreciate you uh, watching this podcast and listening to the audio podcast on faithfulandtrue.com or on iTunes or on iHeartRadio. So we're easy to find. I hope that you look for us and that you like the podcast. And until we meet again next week, we'd like to uh, wish you all a week that's filled with many blessings and great vision. Mm-hmm.